I don't know what's real. I don't know what's not real. Limited Capacity is a collection of six darkly amusing stories about the mysterious ways we interact with the internet and with each other. There's something going on with him. It's like an act. I don't trust him. What? You're staring at me like I should say something, but I don't really know what to do here. That's the whole name of the game. Don't talk about how the town isn't real. Do you understand? Limited Capacity. Available now on CBC Listen or wherever you get your podcasts. This is a CBC Podcast. I'm Jonathan Goldstein, and you're listening to Wiretap on CBC Radio 1. Today's episode, Co-Ed. What do you think mom would be like if she were a man? Slim, wiry. That's the kind of figure I think she would cut. (laughs) It would seem my father sees my mother as more of a Sugar A. Leonard, say than a Roberto Duran. It's worth noting, too, that I spring this question on my father apropos of nothing, but he answers without missing a beat, as though, in fact, he's been waiting his whole life to be asked just this question. We go through life with our gender pretty much invisible to us. We've been playing the role of man or woman so long that we don't even realize we're playing a role. But it is, in fact, a kind of play, and my parents enjoy playing. So, whereas many other families on a road trip might talk about news headlines or where to stop for lunch, we talk about this kind of thing. What kind of, uh, what kind of a woman do you think Dad would be? I think he'd be a great woman, because he's very prim and proper. He, he likes to spray his hair, he likes to smell himself up with perfume. He'd be a good lady. Sure, I'd take care of my hair, get my eyebrows done. What kind of hairstyle do you, you imagine you, you would uh, you would like? Maybe maybe something long, uh, pulled back, piled up on top of my head. Like a beehive? No, not a beehive, but uh, you know, long hair. He would never go outside the door unless he's perfectly dressed. Like he'd never go out in his underwear to put something in the garbage can. <laughs> Wait a second. So that to you is ladylike because that's something. I run out sometimes if I don't see anybody outside. I run out of my nightgown. See, these are things I would never do. That's why she's a better as a man. She, you see, I couldn't go to a place where everybody's running around naked. I hate these kind of places. What kind of place is this that you were imagining? Like, well, like, uh, you know, these, these spas. I seem to remember you talking about some place that you went to where people, you, you, they were trying to get you to play ping pong naked or something. I am very uncomfortable with that. I don't like it. Where your mother would be at home, wouldn't bother her. Doesn't bother me in the least. For people who were barely born before women had the right to vote, my parents are pretty open about questions of gender. But those kinds of issues aren't always so easy to navigate. In fact, addressing them can be like tiptoeing through a minefield of political correctness. Here's Jesse Eisenberg tiptoeing his way through as a post-gender normative man trying to pick up a woman at a bar. Hey. How's it going? Mind if I sidle up? I saw you over here sitting alone and I thought, that's fine. A woman should be able to self-sustain. In fact, a lot of women are choosing to stay alone, what with advances in salary equitability and maternity extensions, and I I think it's an important and compelling trend. I noticed that you were about to finish that drink, and I was wondering if I could possibly watch you purchase another one. 
and at the risk of being forward if you could possibly purchase one for me. So, what do you do? And before you answer, I'm not looking for a necessarily work-related response. I don't think we have to be defined by our industrial pursuits, especially when they're antiquated and heteronormative. I curse my mother, who was an otherwise lovely human person, for not buying me an easy-bake oven when I was younger. I grew up idolizing male thugs like Neil Armstrong and Jimmy Carter. And yes, I do work at ESPN, but I spend more time being spiritual and overcoming adversity, for example, than I do working for some faceless corporation. And if I were to find a mate, be it you or, or someone else here tonight, I would be more than happy to tell the proverbial man that I quit so I can raise our offspring with gender-neutral hobbies while my biologically female partner continues to pursue her interests, be they industrial, recreational, or... Or yes, even sexual with another mate. Oh, how gauche of me. I've just been chattering away incessantly like some kind of girl or boy who talks a lot. I haven't even properly introduced myself. Although, one often gets the uneasy sense that patriarchy dictates a learned and ultimately damaging order of events with men taking an unearned lead. Uh, <clears throat> My name is Terry, with a heart over the eye instead of a dot. I have a heart, is what that says, and I am not afraid to wear it on my sleeve. So, what do you think? Would you like to take me up on my offer for you to buy me that drink? If you would like to respond, that would be wonderful. Of course, uh, if you would like to continue to sit here silently, staring at me with that, that powerful gaze, which both breaks gender constructs and also scares me a bit, that would be fine as well. Uh, what, what's that? I should go f myself? I agree, men should be more self-generative. Thank you for your astute assertion. Why should women exclusively have to bear the burden of childbirth when, when men are biologically doomed to fear commitment? It is counterintuitive, and it is socially degrading. Ah, that beer is refreshing. Thank you for throwing it in my face on this warm summer evening. Okay, okay, I'm leaving. I'm leaving. <clears throat> Thank you for your blunt rejection of me. It takes a lot of courage, which you no doubt have in equal measure to any other human. Now, if you will excuse me, I'm going to the bathroom, where I will cry silently in a stall, questioning my body and texting my mom. But for now, I thank you for your time, which was equal to mine. If I were a girl, I'd start a femrock band, a really loud one. If I were a guy, I'd pee in the snow and make creative designs. If I were a girl, I'd throw a drink in a guy's face just to see what it would feel like. If I were a guy, I'd walk around shirtless whenever and wherever possible. If I were a girl, I'd walk around shirtless whenever and wherever possible. If I were a guy, I'd rock a six-pack and a beard like nobody's business. If I were a girl, I would let myself cry when I needed to. If I were a guy, I'd enjoy being called passionate and assertive instead of crazy and loud. If I were a boy, I don't think it would change much because you're you and it doesn't matter if you're a boy or a girl, that's who you are. So you don't think there would be such a big difference if you were a boy? I don't know, I don't know, it's just, I sometimes I've got the impression that they're feeling forced to do what other boys do. Because they think, oh well, that's how being a boy is. I'd better be like other people or I'm gonna get laughed at. Mm -hmm. Well, a lot of people at school think that 
girls are much more sensible than boys, but I don't believe in any of that stuff. It's just that I can I can like whatever I like, no? Right, that's so true. And do, and do you feel that way? Yeah, except that sometimes, um, well, c- when it comes to clothes, there's like a boys section and, section and a girls section. Okay. I don't really like that, because what if like, somebody likes something in the boys section and they're a girl? Mm-hmm. Like, for example, I like Lego. Okay, and some people consider that as a boys thing. Yeah. So often, well, there'll be like a boys section for Lego. Mm-hmm. Okay, and in the girls section, there'll be costumes of princesses. Um, that I I don't like princess costumes. Okay. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that, okay, that's that's a really girly thing to like, but <laughs> and um, and and I like Lego. Do you find um, how how old are you now? I'm going to turn ten in February. And do you, do you think it's going to change as you get older? What it means to be. A girl, like, do you think? Do you think it'll get easier? Do you think it'll get harder? It'll definitely get harder because I'm gonna be fighting in between, like, what's more comfortable and what I like more. You think that's gonna become more of an issue as you get older? More of an issue. How come? Because right now I don't really care what 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 clothes I wear as long as they're they're warm enough when it's cold. They're cold enough when it's warm, and that's what it's about, wearing clothes. What makes you think that might change? Um, do you have any friends who are older or cousins or anything? Uh, well, I do have one cousin that's 13, and I don't know if her clothes are comfortable or not because I haven't worn any of her clothes, but they just look very teenager, like trying to look as cool as you can like the newest fashion like well everything like that yeah i, I don't know it's it's like a, a new gender it's like a teenager girl and a teenager boy is totally different than a girl or a boy <laughs> Think of your favorite one-hit wonder. Or that overpriced toy your parents would never let you have. Or that TV show that no one else remembers because it was canceled way too soon. Now what if we could fix it? I'm Francesca Ramsey. And I'm DeLon Grant. And after 20 years of friendship, we are now hosting a new nostalgia podcast called Let Me Fix It. Each episode, we'll dig into our favorite celebrities, shows, and brands of yesteryear, and then imagine what it would take to repackage them for relevance today. Think of our show as an intervention, but with way less stakes. So subscribe to Let Me Fix It wherever you get your favorite podcasts. If I were a guy, I'd go for long walks after dark, just because I could. If I were a girl, I would have a baby. That would be rad. If I were a guy, I would sport a really nice suit complete with pocket square and cufflinks. If I were a girl, I'd wear skirts every day without the strange looks I currently get now. If I were a guy, I'd hit on the girl no one else does because I'd know she deserves a chance. If I were a girl, I'd read Fifty Shades of Grey on the bus instead of at home in secret. If I were a guy, I would get paid a dollar for every 77 cents a woman makes. 
and that would be awesome. If I were a guy, I would lift weights and eat like a horse. If I were a boy, oh wait, wait, I was. My name is Jennifer Finney Boylan, and I was born James. I always knew that there was something weird. Um, I didn't have a name for it when I was really little, because you know, when you, what do you know about the sexes when you're when you're a child? But it was as I approached adolescence that I began to really know. Uh oh, okay. And I remember that feeling uh, as all the girls entered puberty. That sense of it was, it was like standing on a dock watching a ship sail away. It was a sense of oh no, now I'm screwed. And 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 there were two problems. One problem was having this fundamentally weird problem that you didn't understand. Mm-hmm. And the other problem was not being able to talk to anybody about it, which was actually the worst of the two problems. Because you know, it's if you if you're trans, it's just something that's always with you. You it's the first thing you think about when you wake up. It's the thing that's continually coming back to you during the day. It's the thing that you feel before you fall asleep. And what, what, what is specifically do you, do you mean? Uh... Well, it's it, and then that, that's that's the question, isn't it? What specifically is it? Because you know, a lot of people think, well, why can't you just be feminine and stay a man? And of course, the answer is that it's not about being feminine. If it was about being feminine, I would have uh, I would have stayed a guy and just had a whole different record collection. (laughs) But it's a sense of the way you reside within your own body. And people who are not trans should know that they have a privilege. They may not think of it as a privilege, but if you wake up in the morning and you never have to worry about what sex you are, you are really lucky because you have something that transgender people wish they had. And so you lived most of your life as a man. You got married. You had children. What made you finally decide to come out? The most dramatic coming out was was essentially the one I, I made with myself. So when I first started admitting to myself, this is something that I've got to deal with, um, that was pretty rough. There was one night I was outside. I forget what I was doing. I was probably walking the dog. And we live in Maine. So it's cold and snowy, and the, the skies are dark and clear and filled with stars. And I looked up at the sky, and I saw the constellation Orion, which is a constellation that has always haunted me. It, it, it seems to have appeared uh, at various moments of truth in my life. And there it was. And I just felt myself asking the question, how long are you going to keep running away from the truth of your life? I mean, nothing happened that night. I didn't then go upstairs and and tell my wife I had the transition that moment. I didn't call all my friends (laughs) and tell them I'm changing my name. But if I think back to one moment in which there was a before and an after, it was that moment of just looking up into the stars. I had always assumed that love would cure me, which is, I don't think that's a delusion that is unique to transgender people. Um, but I, yeah, I always thought if, if I fall in love deeply enough, I will be content to stay a boy. And I guess the weird thing that happened was that I, I did finally fall in love deeply enough uh, with Dee Dee, with my wife. And what wound up happening in the end is that my love 
uh, for Didi and the love that I received from her gave me the courage to actually come out and do the transition so that love did save me in the end, but it didn't save me in, in the way that I expected. Well, what was it like uh, telling your kids? Well, my boys were really little. Uh, when I when I f- first started going through transition, I, I, I think they were like two and four when I began the process. Mm-hmm. Also know that the, the process I went through was very gradual. So, you know, it wasn't like one day I, I waltzed in in a, in a prom dress and said, hello, my name is Tiffany Chiffon. Um, I think that the first time I actually appeared wearing a skirt for work or something um, or wearing makeup in front of them, they didn't actually even know. I remember I said to my son, do you notice anything different about me? And he said, you're not wearing your glasses? <laughs> but um, it, it, it is my feeling that um, in the long run, having a father who became a woman has helped my sons become better men. How do you mean? Well, it certainly made them more tolerant. It has given them the chance to grow up in a house in which not one, but both parents have had to swim against the tide of the culture. And it's true not just for me, but for my wife, Didi, who plenty of people thought, well, you should call a lawyer is what you ought to do. And um, Didi decided early on that her life was better with me than without me and that we were going to work it out as a family. So my boys have grown up in a family not only in which people love each other, but also in which that love has been uh, kind of dramatically and visibly tested. And, and we've survived. Do you ever get tired of having to explain yourself to people? I mean, being trans is, is something that a, a lot of people aren't familiar with. And yet trans people do deserve um, the love and the respect and the, and the dignity um, that everyone deserves. And part of that means not always having to explain yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I want to help people. And so people have lots of questions and I'm, I'm ready to answer their questions. But sometimes I feel like people should be able to be loving and generous even before they understand something. In other words, being able to respond to someone who's different shouldn't hinge on a scientific understanding yeah. of their lives. It should hinge upon their uh, a fundamental recognition of their humanity. Mm-hmm. I mean, the, the, the amazing thing I found is that the journey from maleness to femaleness, um, in the end, I turned out to be a much more familiar person than anyone expected. The person that I am now is, in many ways, fundamentally the person that I was when I began this journey, except in a different shape. You know, uh, the expression I use is, same monkey's different barrel. And I, I know a lot of transgender people who go through the, the um, transition expecting that they will emerge on the other side as someone wholly new and wholly reinvented. And it, it, it's sort of true, but you don't become someone else. The person you become is is yourself. You become, with any luck, a truer version of the person that you were all along. So for me, in some ways, the big difference was not going from male to female. The difference was going from someone who had a secret to someone who didn't have a secret. And that was the profound change. 
During the course of our conversation, Jennifer pointed out that when you lay down the burden of your secret self, when you go through a gender transition, everyone around you has to go through a transition as well. Your female friends have to learn to accept you as a sister. Your male friends wonder if you're still going to be friends in the same way. One of those male friends of Jennifer's is writer Tim Kreider. He'd always looked up to Jennifer as a male role model and had to reconcile this seemingly new person with a man he'd known for years. In a way, Jennifer's transition made him question his own sense of masculinity. In an essay called Shoots and Candyland, Tim writes about his relationship with Jennifer and how he reacted when she first came out to him. Jenny argued she'd never been a man, he writes. She'd just been impersonating one. I would say, you and me both, that's what we're all doing, trying, with varying degrees of success, to impersonate our assigned genders. But over time, Tim started to realize he'd been obsessed by the wrong question. He writes that the question never should have been, is she a woman or is he a man? But what is a friend? Jenny may be the only person in this world, Tim continues, whom I now think of purely as a human being, free of all the corporeal baggage of chromosomes, hormones, and footwear. It's always important to be supportive of the people in your life that you care about, no matter what. Did I catch you in the middle of uh, chasing after an ice cream truck or sandwich wagon of some kind? You sound, you know what? You sound out of breath. You know what? I am out of breath. I was, I was, hold on. Thank you, Sally, too. Okay. Uh, yeah, I'll see you next time. Okay, bye. What, what, what's going on? Just leaving my pole dancing class. Excuse me? You heard me. Pole dancing class. You have a problem with that? So th- this is that whole, like, stripper pole fad dancing Strip- thing? You're- no, I was at a Polish wedding. Yes, stripper pole dancing. See, that is a very outmoded and sexist term. It is pole dancing, okay? It's it is just the pole dancing. trend that's been sweeping the nation for, I don't know, the last nine decades. Who else uses stripper poles if not strippers? Firemen. Poles are extremely in vogue in every spirit. What do you think a candy cane is but a pole with a hook? Santa Claus uses a stripper pole? Yeah, but he, does, he doesn't dance around it. Well, Mrs. Claus does. The elves take great pleasure in that. So wait, I, so I don't understand. So this is like some kind of like co-ed kind of... Uh, well, I mean, it's co-ed because I'm there. You're the only man in the class. I'm the only man man enough to take the class, yes. All right, so what's what's the angle that you're working here? What do you mean, a- angle? The only angle I'm working is a delicate 45-degree outward thrust and then a finely filigreed spin down the pole. That's the only angle I'm working, son. I move beautifully. I move like an angel. In fact, my, my name is Angel at the class. I insisted everyone called me that. So you have a stripper name as well. I have a name, and I have, uh, you know, I have my signature moves, you know, the loosey-goosey, the upsy-downsy, the roly-poly, the, the mashed potato. What, what's the mashed potato? That's when I take a plate full of mashed potatoes up to the top of the stripper pole, and I eat it there while I slowly glide down. I take the class on my lunch break. What, what, what do you wear in this class? Sequins, bangles, rhinestones, nudity, all of it. You, you, you get naked? Well, no, because then, of course, there'd be pole chafing. Right, that's why you want your pole to be glistening, right? And pole oil is very expensive. You can't just, you, pole you know... Pole oil? Yeah, that's right. 
the, the the people with whom you you share this pool they don't mind your greasing it up in in oils oh well that would be very unhygienic to use the same pool we we, we have our own pools it's like a collapsible cane you know you strap it on your back yoga mat style you bring it to class you you you, you snap it together and you go up and down like a sexy stock market so so you're taking this class and uh the other women in the class they're uh they're the other women Oh, so I'm a woman just because I take the class? See, this is the kind of outmoded sexist thinking that marks you as a dinosaur. The, your fellow dancers, they, right. they appreciate your presence. Mm-hmm. Really? They're, they're coming around. Are they? No. They don't want me there. They think I cheapen the class. I think they're actually in it more for the exercise. I'm, I'm following my bliss I up and down that pole. I don't know that anybody wants to see... Your bliss. You know what I have the teacher do sometimes? She takes a laser pointer and she runs it up and down the pole and I just chase it. You should see the way the women look at me with their hungry eyes. I, I love it. Josh, are you sure you're not just trying to pick up strippers? Pick up strippers? What, in what demented, fevered part of your brain do you imagine that strippers take stripper pole dancing classes? Well, d- d- I mean, the only people who take these classes are bored suburban housewives. And that's who I was trying to be. I knew it. You you couldn't possibly just be doing this for your health. Could well, why? You? It is good for my health. You would do better to, like, just, you know, s- stay at home and do jumping jacks. John, home is where the cheese is. And I just eat it all. Go to the Y. You know why they call it Y? Why would you go there? You see, I did. See, I knew you wouldn't understand. You're stuck in an outmoded gender paradigm. You're a homewrecker. And you're going to lend me your stiletto heel. On Wiretap today, you heard Buzz and Dina Goldstein, Joshua Carpati, Nelica Dager, and Jesse Eisenberg reading his dramatic monologue, A Post-Gender Normative Man Tries to Pick Up a Woman at a Bar. It was recorded at the Radio Foundation Studios in New York City. The original version of his piece first appeared at McSweeney's.net. You also heard Jennifer Finney Boylan, author of the forthcoming memoir, Stuck in the Middle with You, Parenthood in Three Genders, a memoir about the differences between motherhood and fatherhood. It's due out in April. Special thanks to Dan Savage and Tim Crater, author of We Learn Nothing. You also heard a vox of gender-themed desires submitted by our listeners. Thanks to our friends at CBC Montreal for reading them. Wiretap is produced by Mira Bertwintonic, Crystal Duhame, and me, Jonathan Goldstein. For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.